trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. Yeah, if you're a first-timer, dipping your toes in the water of wrong think, I can understand this can be a little bit intimidating, right? Pushing back against popular opinion, going a different direction than the crowd. I think a lot of us are trained from a very early age. You know, there's safety in the herd. Just, you know, blend in. Don't stick out. Uh, Don't draw attention to yourself. You're going to do just fine. But somewhere along the way, many of us, hopefully most of us, develop this thing called a conscience. And when that happens, uh, we have a decision to make. What am I going to do? You know, what if the crowd is going in a direction that my gut, my conscience tells me is not the right direction? Do I still go along just to get along so I can hang on to my comfort? Or do I, you know, do I follow my, my moral compass and walk in a different direction? Even though people are like, what are you doing? You're nuts. So my congratulations to those who have found the courage to do so. It's not easy. And, and we're all somewhere on that spectrum of trying to figure out, you know, what's true and what isn't. But I do believe that we have a choice, every single one of us. And uh, that choice is, you know, do, do we go after the truth, even when there are hard truths or unpopular truths that need to be told or need to be acknowledged? Yeah. Sometimes you have to choose between being truthful and popular. And it took me a long time to get comfortable with that. Please understand that, uh, you know, there's... There's, uh, I've, I've had many times to ask myself, okay, do I want to go, do I want to go with what I believe is, is the truth and speak the truth as well as I possibly can, or should I water this down and sugarcoat it and basically turn it into something for, for public consumption? Does that, I hope that doesn't sound patronizing, but I can tell you that uh, much of the, the mass media out there today even as they are manipulating public opinion or they're trying to shield us from from seeing things that that we're not supposed to see or that people in power would rather we didn't see there are people who've had to make that choice do i do what uh, do i do what's popular what's going to pay me money or do i speak the truth the ones who speak the truth sometimes uh, are shown the door or otherwise you know <clears throat> deplatformed marginalized etc so it isn't an easy decision but We'll talk more about that coming up. Got a great article from Dan Sanchez. I want to start on kind of a high note today with a story to just help restore your faith in mankind. And of course, this is courtesy of my, my friend Lawrence W. Reed from the Foundation for Economic Education. A great lesson on how to get the most out of others. He says, never underestimate the power of encouragement applied in the proper form at the right moment. It can accomplish remarkable transformations in both people and economies. Sometimes the best encouragement is a kick in the rear end. It might be what's required to stop bad behavior or to get a fool to use his brain for a change. But Larry says, however, the form of encouragement I prefer as a first resort, whether I'm its recipient or its administrator, is illustrated in a true story involving a high school football game in late 2008. Sports writer David Thomas recounted in his book, Remember Why You Play. So here's a summary. The Lions of Faith Christian High School in Grapevine, Texas, were set to play the Gainesville State School Tornadoes. 
Now, the Faith Christian players had everything in their favor, including a guaranteed slot in the upcoming state playoffs. The Gainesville players, by contrast, were teenage prisoners of a maximum security correctional facility. They had won no games. They'd scored only two touchdowns all season. To date, they were losers in both life and football. They boarded the bus for the one-hour drive to Grapevine with the lowest of expectations. Now, Thomas writes, this game was supposed to mean nothing. The game turned out to mean everything. With no fans except for prison personnel, the Gainesville team members were accustomed to being outnumbered, outplayed, and outcheered until encouragement worked its magic. Faith Christian's coach, Chris Hogan, saw an opportunity to make a statement. So with his guidance, the school treated the visiting team as if it was the home team. As the Gainesville players entered the field, Faith parents and students waved tornado banners to welcome them. Then about half of the the Faith fans and cheerleaders moved over to the visitor side of the stadium and cheered the Gainesville players throughout the, the game. Parents of Faith players were encouraging kids they did not know to tackle their own sons. And though the prison team did not win the game, its players scored two touchdowns and played the best of the season. The, their best of the season. Well, guess what happened next? After the game, the teams met at midfield for prayer with Faith fans standing all around. Mark Williams, the Tornado coach, asked if his, his quarterback could pray. In a simple manner, but with heartfelt depth, the player thanked God for, e- for things easily taken for granted. From the sun coming up that morning to the opportunity to play football that night, there was one thing, however, for which he said he did not know how to express thanks, because he never knew that so many people cared for him and his teammates. Just, man, I don't know about you, but if that doesn't touch your heart, at least at some level, man, you may want to check and see if that thing's still beating. As Larry Reed points out, in a small Grapevine, Texas stadium that evening, tears flowed freely. Nobody felt he was a loser. Lifelong friends and memories were made. Standards and spirits were lifted. Effects of that moment will resonate in the lives of many for years to come. Word of what happened quickly traveled across the globe. For, for months, stories of it appeared in papers from Britain to Australia, likely inspiring millions all from a little unexpected encouragement that didn't cost anyone so much as a penny. He says the late author Leo Buscaglia was right when he said, too often we underestimate the power of a touch, a smile, a kind word, a listening ear, an honest compliment, or the smallest act of caring, all of which have the potential to turn a life around. Now Larry Reed says, as an economist... It's natural for me to find connections between what works on a micro level and what works for society at large. He says, if you want to know what produces a healthy, growing economy, think back to what motivates the individuals who comprise it. Encouragement looms large at every level because we humans respond positively to incentives and we react negatively to disincentives. If we encourage something, we will get more of it. If we discourage something, we get less of it. An economy produces no wealth on its own. Only real, individual people produce wealth. If they didn't, there would be no economy to talk about. They do it through the acts of working, risking, investing, inventing, innovating, employing, building, and serving customers. So if we want a wealthier society, it follows that we must encourage people to work, to risk, to invest, to innovate, to invent, to employ, to build, and to serve. Now bringing it back home to the story that he shared. To those football players on the prison team from Gainesville, encouragement showed up in the form of other people cheering them on. 
The message they heard was, go for it. You can do it. We love you and we wish you the best. How well would they have performed on the field if instead the message was, losers, you're no good. Go back to prison. Now you know why entrepreneurs found it demoralizing a few years ago when President Obama denigrated them with the thoughtless sneer, you didn't build that. Larry Reed says, in so many tragic ways all over the world, governments smother wealth creators in discouragement. They denounce them as greedy and punish them with high taxes. They drive them off the playing field. In socialist Venezuela, for instance, every conceivable discouragement crushes those who work, take risks, invest, innovate, invent, employ, build, and serve. Freedom to do those amazing things is replaced by politicians barking orders. How could any thinking person be surprised at the disastrous results? Now, if you can see how encouragement made a difference in that Texas football game, you can surely understand how vital it is in our economic lives, too. And when the world finally embraces this truth, poverty will become something you have to learn about from history books. You know, I'm not even that big of a football fan, but uh, wow, that story just, that, that touches something in my heart. I remember, uh, I, wish I, could, I wish I could recall the guy's name, but there was a TED Talk that a guy gave a few years ago about how he grew up in foster homes, many foster homes. As in, he was a really rambunctious kid, and in fact, he had a system down for getting himself kicked out of these foster homes. He could tell you, I will be here for exactly two days, or I'll be here for a week before these people get tired of me and send me on to the next one. And then he finally met someone who just simply would not give up on him. And the point of his whole TED Talk was every kid at risk is one caring adult away from making a breakthrough and, and, and actually, you know, turning something around in his life, as this young man did. Pretty powerful stuff. So, I know we can't change the whole world. It's not going to happen all in one fell swoop. But if you see an opportunity to provide encouragement to somebody today, however big, however small, go ahead and take it. I mean, you just, you never know. It's like throwing a, throwing a rock into a pond. How far are those ripples going to go? I couldn't tell you. But those ripples need to be made. And these, these are definitely the right kind of ripples. All right, we're going to talk about truth-telling when we come back. Oh, not the warm, fluffy, comfortable truths that people would love to wrap themselves in. We'll talk about some unpopular truths. We'll be back in just a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. A quick shout out here to the sponsors who helped to make this program possible. I've conveniently listed them on my uh, show notes, which you'll find at thebrianhydeshow.com. If you'd like to subscribe, Drop your email address in there at the bottom of the page. Click the subscribe button. I'll send you a copy every day that I do the show. So thanks to MonticelloCollege.org, LifesavingFood.com, Borelli.com, and TMCP Nation. That's the Modern Conservative Podcast Nation. That would be my friend John Harvey, <clears throat> who is uh, one of the great uh, straight thinkers and talkers out there today. There, there are a lot of different voices to choose from. I prefer voices that bring some light with their message. John is one of those voices, so please 
Check out his website. Check out some of the cool swag that he has, especially if, if you want to promote a message of freedom, you know, on T-shirts and so forth. John's got some great stuff to choose from. Well, having to choose between being truthful and popular is tough. And I think we all stand at that crossroad at one time or another. Got a great article here from Dan Sanchez from the Foundation for Economic Education. Unpopular truths need to be told. The subtitle here is Freedom Needs Fearless Truth Tellers. Now, he starts with a quote from Leonard E. Reed from Pattern for Revolt, which was published back in 1948. Tell the people what is honestly believed to be true. Disregard votes. Pay no attention to popularity. To thine own self be true. Seems pretty straightforward, right? Dan says, when a truth needs to be told, tell it. Is it an unpleasant truth? Tell it anyway. People pleasing and people helping are often at odds. Is it an unpopular opinion? Express it anyway, assuming it is your honest opinion and your urge to offer it comes from a good place. Pay no heed to self or government-appointed arbiters of correct opinion. Respect for expert opinion is to be earned, not mandated. Have the courage of your convictions, says Dan Sanchez. Do not be intimidated by crowds or crowns. Do not let masses or masters cow you into silence or submission to error and lies. Make the truth your primary allegiance. If you side with the truth, you automatically win the moral victory and your conscience will grant peace of mind as your reward. Moreover, with truth on your side, you can gain a powerful advantage in any contest of ideas, one that can help you prevail even against the direst odds, when you seem hopelessly outnumbered and the game is rigged against you. One man who courageously told the truth, even when it was unpleasant, unpopular, and unauthorized, was Leonard E. Reed. As his biographer Mary Sinholtz wrote, In 1946, when Leonard Reed set out to launch the Foundation for Economic Education, the eyes of the economics profession were on the federal government. Sinholtz elaborated how all of America's most authoritative economics institutions at the time were lending their intellectual weight to the nation's wholesale shift away, or rather towards central planning and away from freedom. Now, the philosophy of freedom that had founded America had become forgotten by the people and anathema to the elites. But Reed was undaunted because he trusted in the power of truth. As Senholtz wrote, quote, to create an institution of learning that would confront this vast array of officialdom and its vocal allies was well nigh inconceivable to everyone except Leonard E. Reed. He appeared to be oblivious to the power and strength of official opinion and mainstream economic thought, end quote. So in the face of massive opposition and seemingly insurmountable odds, Reed founded Fee to boldly uphold the banner of economic truth and political wisdom. The remnant of American freedom lovers rallied to that standard, and a movement was reborn. And ever since, the ranks of the liberty movement have grown as the ideas of liberty have spread. Now, Dan Sanchez says we should regard that legacy as an encouragement. Defenders of liberty were far more marginalized in 1946 than today. Thanks to the groundwork laid by predecessors like Reed, we have much more to work with than they did and thus much less of an excuse for despair and defeatism. But he says, above all, we still have the truth on our side. So when people all around you have been whipped up by deceiving demagogues into woke manias or public health hysterias, planet panics, war fevers, and socialist scrambles for legal loot, it can be tempting to keep your head down, to dissimulate, and to go along to get along. 
But to acquiesce to lies is to forsake the truth. And he says, if we do that, we condemn ourselves to inner torment and consign the world to disaster. Dan Sanchez says, precious few can perceive the truth amid a fog of falsehoods and fallacies. The fate of society depends on whether those few are brave enough to say the truth they see, no matter what. Beautifully said. And again, I'll have a link to this in my show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. You know, I've, I've, I've had to, to make similar decisions myself over the years. I've got a really good friend who has said, you know, and I think he meant it as a compliment, but he said, Brian, in all the time that I've known you, he says, if there's an easy way to take, if there's a, a simple path, a path of least resistance, you almost never take that path. <clears throat> and it's, it's true. It's true. In many cases, I, I refuse to take the path of, of least resistance, but it's not because I'm a masochist or it's not because, well, I enjoy being a victim or suffering or whatever. Um, sometimes it is a much more difficult way to go. And I can promise you this, at the base of that decision, it almost always comes down to, but there is, there's a truth here that, that I have to follow. And, and it often requires, you know, going a, a little bit more difficult way. Now, again, I'm not, I'm not telling you this because, boy, you should feel sorry for me or you should admire me so much. What a great guy I am. I'm just saying it's something that I've had to learn. And, and I think I've had to make a choice. And I've, I've said this before. I'll just reiterate again. I have no idea how many people listen to this program on a regular basis. I really don't. And, and, and not to sound callous, but I don't care so much how many people listen to this program. I know any, any program director I've ever had on the radio would be like, whoa, oh, stop right there. You know, <laughs> the audience matters. You want the biggest audience possible. And I can, I can understand where that thinking comes from. I used to hold that thinking myself, but truth be told, I don't think it matters. The way I approach what I do is, is like this. I know that there are people out there who are looking for encouragement. I know there are people who are looking for someone who is willing to speak truthfully. And frankly, I'm not the only voice that's doing it. There are other people who are doing this as well. But I also understand for some strange reason, um, sometimes... Certain voices will resonate with us. And, and I, this is not to say, therefore, as God's gift to the truth. I'm just saying there are some people who will hear me speak something that they wouldn't hear other people speak. So if, if, if my voice cuts through the crowd and you're one of those people, I, I appreciate you giving me you know, your attention you know, for, for however long. I don't, I don't count like, oh, you're hanging on every word. I will deliver the truth the best I understand it if there's just one person. And I'm hoping there's many more, but I never know. And I don't count the numbers like I once did because it, it just becomes a, a kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy of, oh, are the numbers growing? They are, yay! Or, oh, no, they're not growing this week. What now? It doesn't matter. You know, in my case, I believe that uh, I think I think God has given me an errand and said, speak the truth, be a good witness. And so that's what I do. And whether it's for one person or whether it's for multitudes, I don't know. And it's not important whether it's for one person or whether it's for multitudes. There are people who are seeking the truth. I owe them my very best effort. 
I hope that makes sense. And I really hope it doesn't sound too self-serving. It may just sound like, well, are you just explaining away, you know, your failure to to really accomplish anything? Yeah, maybe. (laughs) I don't know. But I think what Dan Sanchez is saying here is we need speakers of truth. We need people who will tell the truth, even when it's inconvenient, even when it's unpopular, even when it doesn't earn you, you know, the admiration or the accolades of the crowd. We've got to do it. And if you're the kind of person who is uh, better known for what you stand for than what you're against, I would submit that that is probably the better approach. It's easy to be against something, but if you want to stand for something, that requires real thought, real effort. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. All right, you ready for some straight-up truth? This is not going to be popular truth to a lot of people, but it's such a good segment, I wanted to share this. Matt Walsh was uh, was being criticized recently, and I think in, in some cases there, there may be some justification for this criticism, in which uh, he was, was going after a particular uh, trans activist, and, and it, it was very personal. Okay, the factually, I don't think he was wrong, but I think um, it, it became a little bit gratuitous in just telling this this trans activist, look, you are a failure. You are not uh, a, an admirable person. Just he, he really he really went after them. And and, and it was a little disappointing. And I, I've, I've been guilty of this myself. And so, you know, it's not like I'm throwing rocks at somebody and saying, well, gee, I would never do that. I've done it, too. But I just don't think it's necessarily a productive way to, to address a particular problem. But came across this video clip yesterday, and this is the Matt Walsh that uh, I think many of us became fans of because this is the guy who made the film What is a Woman? It's, it's brilliant. This is him explaining to trans activists, and we're talking the militant ones out there forcing themselves into every corner of our consciousness that if they're receiving pushback, they need to remember that they are the ones who started this fight. This is about a six-minute segment, but boy, it is worth hearing. Check it out. But there's another point, too, and this is something that I want to say specifically to the trans activists who are now crying and panicking and hysterically ranting about imaginary genocides. I say they're doing that now. They didn't just start doing it now. They've been doing it all along. This is all they ever do. But I want you, if you're in that group, I want you to listen to this part very closely. Please always remember this. You started it. You started it. So I see you on social media and on the news and out marching the street, crying your crocodile tears and claiming that you're being set upon by fascist right-wingers who won't let you just live your lives in peace. What do we ever do to you, you cry? Why are you so angry at us? Well, let me answer that question. You see, the the rest of us were living our lives. We were minding our own business when you came along and demanded that we abandon everything we know about fundamental physical reality for your sake. That's what you did. You claim the right to walk into whatever bathroom you want, whatever locker room, whatever sports team. 
Nobody else has ever had that right. Nobody else has ever had that right to just do whatever they want, go anywhere they want. But you wanted it. You came after our children, seeking to suck them into your suicide cult just to make yourselves feel better. You tried to restructure human society to make it affirming to you personally. You wanted to force the whole world to bend to your narcissism. You tried to put words in our mouths. You tried to control how we speak, even when you're not in the room. Your ego is so out of control that you even tried to take possession of parts of the English language, like you can own them as a pet. You waved that hideous, ridiculous flag in our face and wouldn't stop waving it. You demanded not just tolerance, but celebration. You did all of that. That was you. And now you cry victim because some of us have simply answered no? You made demands. Many people surrendered to those demands immediately, but some of us, a few of us, are refusing. And that makes you what, a victim? You bullied most people into submission right away, but now you want to compare yourselves to Jews in the Holocaust because a few of us can't be controlled so easily? Well, that is just a testament to your boundless narcissism. It didn't have to be this way. If you were really interested in privacy, if you really simply wanted the ability to live your life as you wished, um, then you could have had that. So you could have had that. If you had just said, well, I'm going to live as though I'm the opposite sex. I'm going to tell everyone that I'm the opposite sex, and I'm going to change my name and how I dress, and I'm going to do all of this because it's what I want to do, and it's how I want to live. Well, if you just said that, you, you could have done that. I personally still would not have agreed with your lifestyle, and I personally would not have gone along with the charade, and I would not have affirmed the lie. I would not have. But society generally would have left you alone, as you claim you want. Um, and I, I know that because that was already the experience of the very small minority of trans-identified people in this country up until the last decade or so. Prior to this past decade, this tiny group of people basically lived the lifestyle they wanted to live, and there wasn't much attempt to stop them from doing so. It wasn't, we didn't really talk about it. It wasn't discussed. It was very much on the fringes. But that wasn't good enough for you. In your vanity, you couldn't be satisfied merely with the ability to live how you want. You demanded the celebration. You needed not just the ability to practice your lifestyle, but you needed a parade following behind you and cheering you on the whole time. And you needed affirmation. My God, your, your obsessive, unquenchable need for affirmation. Have you noticed that nobody else walks around every day demanding that the entire world affirm them every second? No one ever did that. No one has lived their life that way, walking around looking for affirmation. None, none of the rest of us even think about that. The idea that you're going to walk out your door and you need to be affirmed by people? Affirmed? How is that anyone's job to affirm you? You decided to do that. You couldn't just believe whatever you believed about yourself. Nobody can stop you from having a belief about yourself. You wanted the rest of us to believe it too. You wanted to force us to believe it. You wanted society to be restructured around your self-perceptions. And you wanted our children. You wanted to induct countless children into your confusion 
baptize them into it so that the confusion you foster in them might affirm the confusion you harbor in your own minds. You pretended that you wanted freedom, but you had that. You wanted more. You didn't just want your own lifestyle. You wanted us to participate in it with you. That's what this comes down to. You are demanding our participation. And what we are saying to you, some of us, is no. Can you get that through your heads? We are allowed to say no. We are not going to participate. You are the mouse who wanted a cookie, and you were given the cookie, and you ate it, but then you wanted to eat everything else in the house too. Some people object, finally object, and you break down in tears like a child who has to leave the playground. You push too far, way too far, and now this is the pushback. In summary, you wanted this fight. You asked for it. You demanded it. And now you have it. Now you have it. Whether you like it or not. That's pretty powerful stuff. And and I know that there are some people who may be grinding their teeth. How could he say such a thing? But that's, that is as well as I think it could be put. And so when, when you find yourself having to stand up and, and defy the woke crowd, it's not just a matter of, you know, I'm earning brownie points among the anti-woke. You know, it's, it's a matter of, you know, standing up for the truth. You notice that's kind of a theme today? <laughs> it's, it's not always easy. I mean, I think a lot of us have had the luxury of, of finding ourselves in the majority or at least in the company of people who pretty much agreed on the things, you know, that, that matter. But, you know, there, it's, it's eventually at some point, if you live long enough, you're going to find yourself having to stand up for the truth when it is unpopular. And the truth of the matter is not that many people will do it. You've heard me talk about the university professor that, you know, would ask his students, what would you have been doing during the time of slavery? Would you have, would you have stood up against slavery? Would you have been an abolitionist? And most students, yes, of course I would. Of course, knowing what I know now. But the truth of the matter is they wouldn't. How do we know this? Because he asked him, okay, what are you doing right now to stand up for people who are being oppressed? In, and I mean, in a way that uh, you're putting things at risk. You're, you're standing up against society. You're standing up against things that are, are actively accepted and putting yourself at risk of losing your job, losing your friends, losing standing among your peers. What are you doing right now that puts you at risk of that? And you know what the answer is, right? For most of them, it's, well, nothing. Okay, well, that's exactly what you would have done during a time, you know, when slavery was common practice. And it doesn't mean you're a bad person. It simply means that for most people, that path of least resistance is the path that they're going to follow. It's easier to just, you know, move with the herd. Don't draw attention to yourself. And, uh, you know, when, when everybody else is speaking an untruth or chanting an untruth in unison... Go ahead and at least look, make your lips move. Mumble, mumble, mumble. I'm saying it too. Unfortunately, I think we are moving into a time period where that is just not going to be a possibility. So if you're going to be brave, this is the time to find that courage to tell the truth, to live the truth, to speak it plainly, speak it with love, but have the courage to speak it. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back. This is our final segment today. Going to talk a little bit about uh, hard truth. <laughs> this is, in particular, the hard truth of what uh, what Tucker Carlson has been showing. He, uh, I, I've never seen anything like this before. And by the way, I have not watched all of Tucker Carlson's shows, so I can't say yes. I've seen all of the various footage. I've seen some pretty cool excerpts from the January 6th videos that came up <clears throat> that very clearly poke holes, big holes, in the uh, prevailing narrative of, oh, it was a violent insurrection that claimed many, many lives, and oh, it was a terrible thing, an overthrow of our democracy. But that's not at all what it shows. And what's really telling, at least at the moment, is the open panic that you're seeing on the faces of many of these people within Washington, D.C., who for the last two years have promoted this narrative that, well, it was an insurrection and we need to criminalize at least half the country that has any doubts in the 2020 election. And just remember, the people who are telling us right now that uh, we should never have been allowed to see these uh, video segments that Tucker Carlson has showed, they're the same people assuring us that, uh, oh yeah, by the way, the election was just fine. It was just fine. Look, they're caught in a lie. And they are really definitively caught in that lie. And they've come out swinging. I don't know if you saw uh, uh, Congressman or uh, Senator Charles Schumer, the master of contrived outrage, as Will Grigg used to call him, going out there on the Senate floor and, and making the plea, Rupert Murdoch, Fox News, you've got to stop Tucker Carlson from, from airing another program about this. They're really afraid. In fact, here's a great article from Andrea Widberg from AmericanThinker.com. When it came to Tucker Carlson's revelations about January 6th, Democrats have come out swinging. And it's not just that they're angry. They're scared. You can see this in their eyes. Andrea writes, On Monday, Tucker Carlson began to release his team's findings about what was in the January 6th footage, challenging the Democrats' talking points. He exposed several lies, which may explain why Democrats are panicking and doing everything they can to say that Tucker is the liar. Of course, they don't want the public to see any footage to to expose these alleged lies. Instead, they want to return to the status quo of Democrat politicians and media figures controlling the narrative. Rajan Lod has summarized the, the many leftist lies that Tucker exposed. I actually shared those on the program yesterday. With uh, more revelations to come, chief among them were lies about Jacob Chansley, the so-called QAnon shaman, who wasn't rampaging madly, but had a compliant Capitol Police escort through the building. Senator Josh Hawley, who wasn't a lone figure fleeing the mob, but was last in a line of running Congress critters hustled along by the Capitol Police. Brian Sicknick, who was vigorously walking around helmet on head long after Democrats claimed Trump supporters beat him to death. And Ray Epps, whose testimony to the Pelosi J6 committee does not align with the video footage. Now, Tucker promises more revelations of information that the Democrats and rhinos have kept secret for over two years. And with luck, the still untried J6 detainees, the currently named defendants and those already convicted for J6 activities, will have the chance to review the footage, and if they're shown merely to have walked around in the people's house after others, including the police, opened the doors for them, well, they should be cleared of all charges. In fact, that's what Trump is demanding. Remember, when America was young, it was understood that government buildings belonged to the people, not to the politicians. Democrats and rhinos are terrified of a counter-narrative. 
Although New York Times disdained to even report on Tucker Carlson, other leftist media outlets and politicians were not above the fray. Chief among them, the Washington Post, which published four articles attacking Tucker's report. Andrew says, three of which I haven't read because they're behind a paywall. So there's uh, one here. Tucker Carlson amplifies January 6th lies with GOP-provided video. That one's behind a paywall. Here's another one. Capitol Police Chief blasts Tucker Carlson over misleading January 6th footage. Stolen elections live on at Fox, live on rather at Fox News via Tucker Carlson. And this is the one that's only freely available. GOP backlash on Tucker Carlson. Gee, I wonder who in the GOP would would take uh, exception to Tucker showing what really happened here. Let's see, Mitt Romney, Lindsey Graham, Mitch McConnell, John Thune, Tom Tillis, Kevin Kramer, and Mike Rounds. Oh, well, how about that? What a surprise. The ones who are the conservative branch of the Democratic Party, horrified that the truth is coming out. And since conservatives consider these men the equivalent of France's collaborative Vichy government, their opposition to truth isn't really likely to affect Tucker's audience. By the way, CNN also went into overdrive, having lost control of the narrative. Tucker Carlson, with the help from Kevin McCarthy, tries to sanitize the very real violence of the January 6th attack. The reputable establishment flunky Oliver Darcy took umbrage that Tucker exposed the lies about Jacob Chansley, Brian Sicknick, Josh Hawley, and Ray Epps, contending that exposing the lies was itself a lie. And from there, he just bashes McCarthy for ceasing to be a, a good GOP foot soldier. Here's another CNN offering. What to know about the Tucker Carlson January 6th footage? Here's the short version of the article. Tucker Carlson didn't run everything by the Capitol Police. Jacob Chansley ignored a request to leave the building. Just because Brian Sicknick looked vigorous didn't mean that it wasn't unpleasant to be sprayed with pepper spray. And Democrats and rhinos on the Hill are mad at Tucker. Or then there's this one. U.S. Capitol Chief rips into Tucker Carlson over offensive use of January 6th footage. Now, as the headline says, U.S. Capitol Police Chief Tom Manger claims that Tucker, who had 30 minutes in which to present a distillation of over 41,000 hours of video, (laughs) cherry-picked. I'm sorry, but, oh, yeah, because we know the J6 committee didn't do anything like that, right? Here's what I can say. Andrea says, whether it's Democrats or Tucker Carlson cherry-picking the video, both the video and Capitol Police testimony revealed a sorry bunch of sniveling, useless people. Although, in their defense, as Tucker points out, Pelosi and McConnell made sure police were understaffed on January 6th, which seems to have driven many either to ineffectiveness or panicked brutality. But the shrillest and most dangerous attack on Tucker comes from Senator Chuck Schumer, who was absolutely beside himself that the American people got the chance to see something other than the official Democrat narrative about January 6th. Now, Schumer's hysteria boils down to this. How dare Tucker respond to the official Democrat cherry-picking with a counter-narrative? Schumer wrapped up by insisting that Fox News silence Tucker. In other words, he's trying to get around the First Amendment prohibition on government censorship by insisting that a third party do so on his behalf. Andrea Whitberg says, As for me... I remain committed to the idea that all the January 6th footage should be put online for crowdsourcing. Only in that way can we be assured that we know the whole truth and nothing but the truth. It's telling that the American public, like almost 80% of it, likes that idea. While everyone in the establishment media, Democrats, GOP, Republicans, finds the idea abhorrent. 
Yeah, it's I'm look, on the one hand, I'm almost rejoicing that finally some truth is coming out. On the other hand, I'm also being very cautious just because it's uh it's really scary from the standpoint of uh when people like this are cornered, when they are caught in a lie, that is when you are likely to uh, to see them do some really desperate kinds of things. And I would uh, I would not put it past them to well to be very very desperate, burn the house down, desperate, in order to to avoid accountability. Isn't it just crazy? The lies are starting to come out. Um, I don't know. I don't know where this leads. Like I say, I try not to get too caught up in political intrigue, but boy, there's some there's some ugly stuff coming to a head. Let's end on a positive note here. I'm including in today's show notes an article from Daisy Luther. It's titled, There Isn't Just One Way to Prep. I don't know about you, but as I see things becoming more and more unhinged, I become much more focused on my preparations. And, and, and I have to temper this with the understanding that, really, you can't be perfectly prepared for everything. There are three things that Daisy identifies that will determine your survival. Skills adaptability, and luck. But she has a terrific article that goes into all the different variables about, you know, what it takes, you know, when we don't all have unlimited funds and not everybody's physically capable of, say, running a homestead or maybe you don't have all your family members on board or you have chronic health problems, you're getting older or that, maybe reasons you can't move to a bug-out location. You got to work with what you got. And, and you're going to hear me sound this theme a lot just because I've, I've received some, some very serious insight into the power of community. But your best bet right now, you know, before you go out and buy food storage, before you buy guns and ammo, before you buy solar generators, etc., start building community with the people around you. Start creating like-minded groups of people. Start with your neighbors. Start with your family. But it's not something you're going to lone wolf your McQuaid through all by your lonesome. You're going to need some help, and so are your neighbors. So get to know them. Get to love them. Learn how to serve them. This is The Brian Hyde Show.